Uh, my name is Tim Mitra. I am from Toronto, Ontario, and joining us via the airwaves is Aaron Vay from Whitby, Ontario. So lonely here. And then we have uh, Mark Rubin from San Jose, California. And we have Aimee Lopez from um, Seattle, Washington. So everybody say hello. hello. Okay, How's so um, there's a couple of quick topics we want to jump right into, and I think, um, do you, are you willing to jump into the dark side of PR? Yeah, absolutely. So th there was a pretty good post uh, over on puppygames.net, and it was sort of the, you know, here's this unfortunate truth, and I'm, you know, I'm saying this, and it's very difficult for people to understand, but as the uh, prices have gone down for apps and games, and he references, of course, the App Store, we know that's sort of spiraling down to a, a free or freemium type model, and then even on uh, game platforms like Steam, where it used to be, you know, twenty dollars for a game, and now it's ten dollars or part of a, you know, humble bundle or some other similar type thing. The fact of the matter is, like, most of your support costs go towards not helping people with problems with your game or your app, but helping them fix problems with their device, you know, their computer. And what he's saying is like, okay, when it was twenty dollars for that, sure, you know, I, I can still make up the value, you know, on you as a customer. But when it's a dollar for the app. Or it's zero dollars for that. It's really not my, worth you know worth my time to help you at all. Right. right. The cost of supporting a customer, or the value that we get from a customer in these low ball sales, isn't worth the. Well, it, it's hard to say because it is it is worth putting the effort into it. Marco Arment had a comment like this, and this was a couple years ago. So this sentiment isn't a new one. But uh, his opinion was that no customer is really worth supporting, and if a customer has a problem. Um, rather than try to deal with the problem, he would simply offer them a refund. And, you know, as a developer, giving a refund isn't something that you can actually do, right? <laughs> because Apple can give you a refund, but uh, you only get the 70% um, of the, the money that a customer pays. So what you actually have to do is, is give them the full amount that they paid for the app. So, you know, 99 cents <laughs> uh, or, or $5, whatever your app costs, if you're looking to give a refund, refund to a customer. But those economics actually make it worthwhile to simply blanket refund any customer for an app rather than have to deal with them. Even a single email exchange, you're losing money on. And uh, that's the economics of the App Store. And it's not a good thing, I think. Um, you know, but this, this blog post here makes that point. And uh, it's a good point, but, uh, you know, it's it's the way things are right now. You want to basically give your customer the best experience you can. I mean, that's why we put the effort we do put into into apps. But, it, yeah, it's just unfortunate that, you know, trying to support one single problem or even 10 problems or 100 problems, it, it doesn't make economic sense. We're, we're not getting the return because of the way that app, the app prices have been driven down and you're not really getting decent monies for it, right? So. 
Which probably explains to a great extent the popularity of freemium models with with developers because if a person doesn't like your app well you don't have to give them anything when you give them a refund and by the time they if they actually do like your app then that's when they start buying in-app purchases and they're probably not going to look for a refund at that point or maybe they've even earned some value right if they bought a a five dollar in-app purchase it's very different than if it was a 99 cents straight up purchase or or zero dollars at all right right right. but it is is interesting this article uh because it does fly in the face of the traditional sales approach where it's easier customers always right customers always right and it's easier to get a customer in the first place than it is to regain a customer once you've lost them right because you know once you've lost a customer they they hate you they're never going to come back right well, and the other problem is is that the and problem or opportunity, I guess, is that the whole review system. Because you, if you if you anger a customer, yep. they're going to give you a negative review. That negative reviews do drag down, but hopefully positive ones, you know, counterbalance them. But right. my experience is that customers don't generally write reviews, so right. ba- one bad review is 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 detrimental to your performance on the app store. Yeah, yeah, and one angry person has an in order inordinate amount of power to affect you negatively then that 99 cent purchase price really right. should yeah. should bring them yeah. especially depending who they are right like look what happened when uh john gruber daring fireball made whatever comment it was about um the app ratings uh, the, you know an app that pushes you for app ratings and whatever app that was i think started getting all these one stars or or was yeah, sort of threatened by that because you've well, because, got a very popular person the, yeah exactly the there's a whole sphere of influence there to have many many people just jumping on there because right. they're you know their their leader has said so yeah it comes back to that my favorite my favorite uh, example is, is the flappy birds viral viralities like because it wasn't because the app was specifically decent or good or, or you know beneficial to mankind it was the fact that everybody jumped on twitter and, and criticized the hell out of it that that it became something that people just like you, you stop you slow your car down and look at a car accident what's going on over there right so yeah. and, and that led to the popular popularity of of that particular app um okay so so i think what this has to do is is it's part of the ongoing message and it's something that we've been talking about ever since we started the show right the idea that um it doesn't make sense to support customers um, that's just a symptom of the fact that it doesn't make sense to uh, have that business model when you go into the app store. So this this whole uh, opinion is predicated on the notion of selling your app outright uh, for one time for ninety nine cents, as opposed to it using used to be twenty dollars. You know, and games cost way more than that, or they used to. This comes right back to the problem of you know what's the business model when you're going to be an app developer or a game developer. And, of course, game developers have totally figured it out, <laughs> as you know, because they've got these terrible IAPs and, um, you know, buying, God, unbelievably virtual crap. And that's how they make money, right? So they could theoretically have customer service because they can afford to because they figured out how to make money on the App Store. They've done so in a douchey way, but there it is. You know, our lesson, our takeaway from this piece is really about um, how do you actually make money? Because if you're making money, then you can support customers. And, and the, the whole right? the whole idea of a paid upgrade system, um, you know, like even just uh, notwithstanding, like you're not going to charge 50 cents for a 99 cent game or 90 cent app, but the ability to charge customers for upgrades allows the customer to get the benefit of the upgrade, but also allows the developer to fund future development, right? Mm-hmm, and future features, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, yeah, but you see, like nobody's holding their breath waiting for that to happen. 
And it comes back to, to, to the separation you talked about last week where you've got the uh, Apple on the one side running this you know app store that and, and the vast numbers of downloads and developers and billions of dollars paid out uh, when in reality it the, I would say like 99% of, of app developers are not making any money whatsoever compared to, to the number right so they're not making their money from uh, selling developed apps they're making their money from selling phones and and stuff like that and they make their money from the big apps but little guys like us are trampled upon by their system right did you see the uh, last week, and I, I'm sorry, I can't even remember where I read it from, but the opinion was made that Apple has a, a longstanding mistrust of software companies uh, looking to take their uh, ownership of the platform away. Uh, if you remember back in the classic Mac days when Adobe gained a huge measure of power in the, in the software market, uh, because the stuff that they make is stuff that people need and they make the platform similar to Microsoft. Um, Apple needed Microsoft, Apple needed Adobe, and being put in that position and being uh, on the on death's door, really, in the mid to late 90s, they've been put into this position um, once already of, of having software companies have too much power over the platform. And they've set up the App Store in such a way that they ensure that no company is going to have that kind of power over them again. And, and as I said before, like when, when the iPhone came out in 2007, Apple was prepared to be the only creator of software for it, right? Mm -hmm. And it was us pesky developers who figured out we could, you know, jailbreak the phones and get down to the command line and then and then start taking it apart and I think mm -hmm. build uh, apps for it. And, and there's a whole subculture of, of jailbreaking apps and uh, there's a whole Cydia network and Cydia store. Yeah, I don't know if that's as uh, popular as it used to be, though. Um, especially as Apple has, has improved iOS and taken away the reasons that people have been using for jailbreaking in the first place. Um, you know, I, I feel like every every iOS release has has removed a barrier um, that people have had to adopting the platform uh, and to therefore jailbreaking their phones. Um, you know, like I, I used to jailbreak phones as a matter of course because I wanted the hotspot functionality. And then Apple provided hotspot functionality and I didn't have to jailbreak it anymore. Things like that. And so, you know, you don't really see as much activity in the jailbreak community. And you can also see that they're not as on top of it as they used to be anymore. Um, so if you want to jailbreak your current phone right now, you're going to have a hard time doing it, both because Apple's got better security on their side and because I suspect there's less interest in the jailbreak community. My main concern about jailbreaking in general is I only ever jailbroke my first phone because it wasn't available in Canada and I had to, you know... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, yeah, that's right. To be able to use it, <laughs> first, but, example. first example. Yeah, but uh, but one one thing that that uh, you do when you when you jailbreak a phone is you turn off the Apple security system that you know the jail the gatekeeping and all that other kind of benefit stuff that you have. I think perhaps the people who would normally jailbreak a phone have gone on to another platform, which will which leads us to the next topic of discussion, which was a post on Daring Fireball. It kind of said what a lot of us have been saying about you know the the, the comparison between Apple and Android and and lack of features. Do you want to jump in on that? I love reading posts like this. <laughs> it's, it's just like we, we've been seeing it, right? Like we've been seeing this for, for years and years. And the idea that uh, the newest apps, the most interesting apps come out for iOS first. And although of now it's even worse than it used to be, the vast majority of phones in the market worldwide are Android phones. Uh, they're not iPhones. And yet 
despite that overwhelming superiority of numbers in the market share, you still see introductions first for iPhone and then later for Android. And um, this column that uh, that Gruber linked to this week, it's an opinion. I don't even know who this guy is, uh, Samil Shah. But he very cogently argues that not only should, is it is it justifiable that Android development should come later, but that um, maybe you shouldn't do it at all unless you've got a really good reason to. And he's got a couple of, you know, a few reasons that he states. First off, that um, the pain of dealing with the hardware fragmentation, and there was a, another set of numbers published today showing that fragmentation on the hardware side of Android has actually gotten considerably worse with some 18,000 plus distinct hardware configurations available in the marketplace. The other issue is that iOS users, uh, while representing a minority, are still the most uh, desirable customers because they're the ones that try new apps. They're the ones that spend the money on IAPs. That's where the money is made. Uh, If you compare dollar amounts uh, generated by iOS versus Android, iOS is still a clear winner despite having just a fraction of what Android has. And his third point is that iOS is going to continue to grow because of low-cost models that are coming out. Uh, The 5C is the current example, but uh, that's a trend that he sees continuing, and I don't disagree with that at all. It seems clear, and you you tie that against the the notion that uh, developing for Android is really going to be expensive. It it essentially is going to double your costs um, and and bifurcate your company's development efforts. For a startup in particular, um, you've got a real problem if you want to split yourselves like that and build for this other platform that, although a ton of people use it, they don't actually use it. <laughs> um, sure, what we were talking about before the show was that, that Apple publicizes the large number of uh, apps that are out there, a large number of downloads that are out there, and large number of devices out there, but they don't necessarily talk about the quality of the product that's out there, right? And that's because they're trying to compete in a numbers game with Android. But when you look at the quality of what's going on, on, on the Android side, you have a lot of a lot of phones, admittedly, that, that have been sold. Yes, in terms of numbers, they've sold more phones than Apple has. However, the vast majority of people running Android are still running an, an operating system that's four years old, you know, because they can't upgrade them, and those really shouldn't count. If you look at the adoption rate of iOS 7, it's it's in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. People are on the, on the iOS side are getting a much better experience than those who copped out and bought an Android device, right? So I think I've had to quote jobs for both Android and iOS at the same time. Like, you know, the the customer wanted um, an app that was on both platforms. And when I worked out the numbers and did all that kind of stuff, it was, say, $20,000 to do the iPhone side. It was easily $30,000 to do the Android side. And back then we were also talking about BlackBerry and that just threw the, the numbers to the roof. And But my argument to the client was, you're going to get people on, on iOS downloading your app. You might get people downloading your app on Android. You're definitely not going to get anybody downloading your app on BlackBerry. So why are you putting all this money into an effort into something that nobody's going to benefit from? Or at least of all you in terms of profitability, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, One thing you know, that I read in this um, this piece here that, that wasn't said and that uh, Android advocates would tell you about is that the uh, divisiveness of the <laughs> terrible word <laughs> of the devices themselves is uh, it's not as fragmented as it sounds because they have the Google Play services, which is the underlying framework that Google ships um, to all Android devices. Um, And that's actually the set of frameworks that developers target when they're building apps for Android. And if you actually looked at that pie chart, you would see that the vast majority of, of devices 
are on the latest version of Google Play services. The fragmentation that we're talking about here um, isn't actually as bad as it looks. On the other hand, um, one of the elements of fragmentation that, that we talk about a lot is screen size. Um, there's a huge diversity of screen sizes, just as there are uh, devices themselves. Because you can't really, I, I think, Tim, did you mention this the other week, where you have to design an Android app from the center out? Yeah, that was kind of the, what I picked up last year from a talk at 360i Dev by, um, I forgot her name again. Something like Chuki. Yeah, Chuki. Yeah. I think, yeah, and, and similar to what her name is on, on um, it's in the show notes from last week. Sure. Uh, but uh, she, uh, and she sort of, she was explaining the difference between what's an IB outlet, what's in, in Android, you know, what's a view controller in Android, uh, you know, what what a method is called. And then when she was sort of explaining how you de how you develop uh, or lay things out on on Android, it's it's either you're laying them out center centered, vertically or horizontally, but essentially it works out to be like from the inside out or from the center out. And yeah, the result being that you have a certain sameness uh, in your apps, uh, no matter what the device size, right? Which is sort of the key to why uh, tablet apps on Android don't look anything like tablet apps on the iPad. What uh, Jaime was saying last week was that there there isn't any actual decent tablet apps. Right, it's, right. It's really hard to find, and if you found one, they'd be the, the exception that proved the rule, right? Right, right, right. And uh, to follow up on the the fragmentation side, I, I, you know, there are definitely blog posts that come out from the Apple uh, community ecosystem type folks that, you know, that show the oh my god, look at these billions of devices, and look at the this uh, chart of uh, all the different screen sizes and resolutions, and whatnot. And I think the Android folks are. Are correct in that yes, if you do use uh, Google Play services and you do use Google's uh, support libraries, it gets rid of most of that. However, I would say that if they say that fragmentation is not a problem, they're going to get us in trouble here. But they're they're really you know delusional because every time in my career that I've worked alongside Android developers, they always had all sorts of bizarre problems that we just don't have because we're so lucky on the Apple side that. Things are consistent and there's very little variability, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. They'll say, oh, um, this Bluetooth code, yeah, it doesn't really work on the Samsung Galaxy S3, mm -hmm. a very popular model uh, because, you know, Samsung just did its own thing. Um, game developers would say, oh, yeah, like I couldn't get this code to work quite right on uh, on many Android devices, right? So because the GPU uh, quality and and uh, the GPU drivers are not the same, not even anywhere close to consistent. Mm -hmm. And anytime you do anything related at all to uh, photos and video, as I, as I saw in an Instagram uh, developer meeting, you know, they said how much of a huge pain in the neck it was to deal with, whereas it was pretty much you know, one and done in a few days on the iOS side to implement mm -hmm. the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I was just looking up here, some, I made a note yesterday, some, one of the commenters or one of the presenters uh, 360i dev said that uh, you spend most of your time as developers you spend most of your time debugging your software than you do actually writing code um, which i thought was an interesting comment and even more so it sounds like on the android side yeah time and time again i mean we're, we're very fortunate that the build it just the build quality itself of the devices right is mm -hmm. very consistent and very high for apple devices it's right. it's not that true of you know the one you get out of a Cracker Jack box, uh, or or, uh, or, or even some, one, or the one you get from Burger, King. the one you get free from Burger King. That's what we're talking about, and, and even the ones from you know well-known manufacturers like Samsung that have all these great marketing campaigns, and people are gonna, you know, every time 
I get a text message, the battery vibrates separately from the phone. I mean, that's, really? that's, yeah. that's on the Maybe Galaxy that, S5. That, that was from the Verge that review. Be a, that must be a way they save the exp- on, on putting vibration motors in. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, speaking of, speaking of Burger King, I, I just interject this idea. Is that I just found it at lunch today. Well, I saw that something about, I think it was uh, um, Jim Dalrymple had posted that, that uh, Burger King is giving away free phones. That's what I saw. But you, you said today that they were free Android phones, right? Yes, they were free with uh, with contract of some sort, and I didn't really look. It, it was many, many Android models. You get you go in there, you buy a Whopper, and they say, "Would you like a, Would you like a smartphone with that?" Or... <laughs> I mean, you, you just eat the fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's a really, really cross promotional branding oddity. Well, actually, speaking of Burger King too, that, another thing that came up, Aaron. I don't know. Did you hear about the yeah, uh, Burger King t- Tim Hortons thing? Huge. It is huge for for us in Ontario because I mean, um, Tim Horton's office is just down the road from us in Oakville, right? So the head office, so and they've already they already own Wendy's, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is Wendy's not a big franchise here? In it is it's very yeah. big. I think ninety five percent of the people in the U S. don't know what Tim Horton is. Maybe you could you could uh, talk about that. Well, I think that there are they have they have tried to make forays into the states. I think mm. they they I think the satellite states like close to the border. In Canada, have have got Tim Hortons, but yeah, they haven't really made. They're not as pervasive as uh, as uh, they are in Toronto. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Tim Hortons, but yeah, they're pretty much on every corner, and I'm thank thankful that Starbucks has at least come and taken over the other corners that are occupied by Tim Hortons. Hmm. So th- there's uh, another topic that we wanted to talk about because it came out fairly recently um, on ReadRide.com. They were reporting on Comscore's report, and they do a lot of the uh, market analysis, analytics type stuff. And they came out with some interesting um, numbers, right? And I'll just cut right here to, to sort of the punchline here. So according to them, more than one-third of smartphone users may be downloading one or more applications per month, but right. nearly two-thirds download none. Now, is that generally smartphones or, or iOS? or They don't dis- make a distinction between that in the, in the article posted here. So it's... For the sake of argument, assume that it's across all smartphones and it isn't broken down by platform. In that case, that's great news for iOS, right? Because if 90% of the smartphones are Android, that's implying that a huge number of people on Android aren't downloading apps. It varies, and it definitely varies like whether you believe uh, you know, sales as reported by Apple sure. uh, directly from their stores and everything and, and sell-through versus the estimates of shipments, which are not one-to-one with sales. And we have seen manufacturers like Samsung turn out to have uh, auditing oddities oh, really? <laughs> in their numbers that come out years after the fact. Like sure. sales, yeah. Well, it's like, oh, here's what we saw. It's like, no, really, this is what you sold to the carriers yeah, yeah, who then right. returned a great number of them to you, yeah. meaning they were not sold. Yeah, things like, you know, two-for-one offers on the low-end phones that you just... Don't get them on the iOS side. Right, you give one to your dog and keep one for yourself. Yeah, so um, you have, keep a backup in your drawer or whatever. Right, yeah. right, yeah, right. Here in the U.S., uh, Verizon or T-Mobile, one of those two companies, had mm-hmm. uh, the Galaxy S5 on its launch day. You know, buy one, get one free with a family plan or something mm. of that nature. The brand new yeah. phone. Yeah, brand new top-of-the-line marquee phone. Mm. Wow. Except for it being Samsung. Obviously, <laughs> well, yeah. I think the article talks about the fact that they're wondering whether people are having app fatigue and not wanting, are tired of, of. Uh, um, I mean, one of the one of the points in the, in the article that I kind of agree with is is that people are tired of having all these apps on their phones that they have to manage and move around and and in reality, people tend to use a, a, a small number of, of 
uh, apps all the time, right? Isn't that what the article said? Yeah, that was one of their um, you know speculation pieces right. on why. And I I do think there's probably some level of that, but I think the average person doesn't have you know 200 apps on their phone like a developer would, or a rather sure. enthusiastic uh, early adopter such as ourselves or many of the people that we associate with and that write these kind of articles. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people's needs have kind of been met, right, by right. by major apps, right? You, you know, your needs that Facebook provides are met. You don't really need something. The needs that Twitter provided were kind of met. Right, right. Uh, and, and there is room for, for new players to come in, um, but I can't see how the average smartphone user would say, oh, my gosh, I need to download, like, 20 different apps. Because it's not really... A faddish thing to do anymore, as right. it was a few years ago. It's like, oh my god, check out this app, and you might go to a party. Now, it's, yeah. unless it's a really compelling app, you're not going to show your friend this this new app that you downloaded. Right, right, right. And I think that we're a little a little jaded in the fact that we're we're in a community where we are are very app focused, right? And, and I see a lot of people using their phones in general, and you know they may have an iPhone, but they're not even scratching the surface in terms of potential. Or even it, you see a lot of people with Android phones and. And what are they doing? They're looking on Facebook. You know, they may be sending a text message, or possibly, God forbid, talking on the phone. But, but you don't really see people. You know, you don't. People aren't walking up to you on the street saying, "Oh, you got to check out this app." You know, like much like they do in the developer community, where we, did you hear about this app? Or you know, did you hear what Del Rumpel said last week or whatever? You know, so interesting enough. Um, I think since we're at 360i Dev, we should probably talk a bit about the conference or about conferences in general. Uh, the three of us are here today, and uh, we've come from different experiences in terms of where we are in the dev community. Um, you know, I'm I run a small software company. Mark is uh, a developer, indie developer, and, and works for other people. And Jaime is currently working for startup, uh, Offer Up. So we have different perspectives on what we expect out of this conference. What do you uh, What do you take away from so far? What you've seen? What What Jaime? What have you What have you seen that? Uh, is compelling, interesting, anything you learned that was like earth-shattering, as my wife put it yesterday? Um, I'd have to say probably one of my favorite sessions was uh, Stupid Auto Layout Tricks by Justin Williams of uh, Glassboard uh, right. fame. And uh, this is the second year in a row that he's done an auto layout-based uh, session, but it was actually quite different, and it added a lot that, uh, that I didn't happen to know and sure. stuff that will be, I think, very, very useful, especially since Apple's really pushing hard on the adaptive um, UI uh, and the size classes stuff, which is all predicated on using auto layout. So it's, it's great to have this set of tools under my, you know, in my tool belt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mark, did you have anything? Yeah. So the thing that I've enjoyed so much is uh, two things, really. One is, is seeing what people are doing with some of the newer technologies uh, that are, that have only recently become available. Uh, there's a really nice talk on background fetch by Mike Oliver of RunKeeper. Uh, that was a, a really nice uh, application of, of how the technology works and how it fits into the bigger picture. And it was just great to see someone putting this into practice and really seeing it. I also liked the auto layout talk uh, that you were just talking about, Jaime. And uh, there was also one on advanced core data by Aaron Douglas. There was nothing you know super new in that one, but but he gave a really nice explanation of how it all fits together and works with some uh, with background threading and whatnot. And it's it, it, in fact it was similar to some of the things that I've done, and it was really nice to see that validation of how some of the things I'm doing are considered best practices. So that was great. Yeah, I like going to these uh, type of uh, conferences. Uh, you kind of know what you want to see when you come into it. You know, you, you might want to go and see some stuff that you've already got experience with. Like for instance, I went to a 
a talk on uh, UX design and, and using art and color in your work. Um, but, you know, my background is in fine art, so I already knew some of that stuff. But it was good to get a refresher on that. But the one uh, one subject that, that uh, was great for me was, was a talk on uh, funding and pitching 101 by Rob Rusher and his, and his wife, Molly Rusher. Um, and they t- talked about how, you know, and you go from startup to you know friends and family to finding co-founders to uh, talking to angel investors and the kind of expectation you can get from them and as well uh, what what would happen if your your app went to uh, serious venture capital financing all the way up to an, an IPO and it was good because you know for most of us in, in the developer community we don't get that kind of information um, sort of given to us this is a very important part of running a business as a developer, especially if you want to go indie, is, is how do you get out of uh, out of your bedroom and into the, <laughs> the stock market with your app? You know, how does it be, how does it go from being uh, something you created and you show your friends to something that, you know, thousands and thousands and millions of people download and use every day? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I think, the, the, the whole gist of software development in, in general. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my, my second year coming, and it's actually been pretty nice to, you know, see people that were here last year really uh, feels like being part of more of the community, and it right. sort of seems to grow as each year goes by. So that was appreciated. I first found out about Glassboard um, myself at WWDC in 2013, and I found out a bit late in the conference, but um, so the conference organizers started using Glassboard last year at, the, uh, at uh, 360i Dev in Denver. We were in a different location last year as well. About two weeks ago, they announced that there was a, a John had opened up a board on uh, on Glassboard specifically for 2014, and so we started introducing ourselves before the conference started up. So a lot of people got to, to you know connect with other developers, which is what these conferences are ultimately all about. Because you know, like I said, we're all sort of cloistered in our bedrooms, right, writing our code, trying to take over the world, but we don't really realize that there are three or four hundred other guys out there doing the same thing as we're doing, right, or. In the case of WWDC, there's 6,000 people doing what we're trying to do, right? Aaron, have you ever had an opportunity to go to conferences? I know that's one of the reasons why you go to TACO in Toronto. Well, I've been to um, several. Uh, I went to C4 back in 07 when that was a thing. Um, Singleton in uh, Montreal and NS North in Ottawa. And how recently have you gone? Uh, last one was probably uh, NS North, uh, which had been last year. Right, and and are you planning on going to Singleton this year, or? Uh no, no, not. I don't know when my next conference will be. I, I'd love for it to be WWDC, um, but uh, other than that, I have no plan. I think we're just about ready to wrap up the show. Um, so uh, let's go around the table and see if anybody has any new technologies or new apps or something you want to throw on the table uh, for us to talk about. So, Aaron, do you have anything new to talk about? So, you know, I write for um, my, my magazine, Big Fruit. Um, about uh, two weeks ago, I covered a new technology that Microsoft Research announced called Hyperlapse, where they take video that's been shot and apply algorithms to get it to, to go at like 10x speed, but be perfectly smooth and steady. Uh, their demonstration was really impressive, and uh, it was just a research project. Everybody was dully impressed. Well, today, Instagram, as a separate app, launches Hyperlapse, um, which provides the same features that Microsoft Research demonstrated, um, but they do it in real time uh, on the device. Uh, so they've created an algorithm that, uh, that uses the onboard accelerators and gyroscopes in the iPhone to, uh, in real time, 
smooth and speed the uh, the video that you're shooting. So it's a super simple app. All it does is has a play button or a record button, and you record your video, um, ideally with motion, and then hit the stop button, and then it starts playing it back in a loop, like an animated GIF, over and over and over. Is it like is it limited? It's not limited like Vine in terms of length, or it can be any length. Or? Yes, it can be any length. I'm curious about the fact that it's the same name as what Microsoft released. Is that a, a yeah? No, it's it's no accident because hyperlapse is actually the official um, term for um, a a fast, smooth time lapse. And you can look it up on Wikipedia. Um, it's an actual thing that exists, but it's it's being made uh, readily available for the first time. Like previously, like the the Wired story that profiled uh, hyperlapse from Instagram. Uh, its headline is $15,000 worth of camera equipment, no longer necessary, etc. cetera, uh, to use this kind of, to get your hands on this kind of technology. So um, it's really simple to use and the results are, are very impressive. And I think over the next weeks and months, you're going to start seeing people posting their hyperlapses <laughs> using this app. Um, and it's going to be really cool. You know, as an example, sorry, as an example, like I, I, um, I shot a hyperlapse of, of walking around my house, uh, inside my house. And, uh, it was kind of dizzying <laughs> because you could turn it on. It, it defaults to six X. Um, and I'm just like, the video is just spinning around and around my house in a circle. Um, and, but it's really smooth and it's, uh, it works really well. One thing we should point out is that there are multiple apps on the app store that are called hyperlapse. So the one that we're talking about is, is actually hyperlapse from Instagram and it's a free app. Free app. Oh, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. And um, based on what we were just talking about earlier, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is iOS first <laughs> for this app. Quite right. Um, and in fact, uh, it's iOS only, and uh, that's because Android doesn't have support for the capabilities required to do this. Um, and the sense that I got reading the um, the profile today was that um, Instagram's going to be working with Google to get support uh, for what they need built into, uh, Android. Um, so they're going to wait for that to happen before they can port it. Jaime, do you have anything to add? Yeah, actually I do. Um, I, I don't know how new this game is. I, I saw it, um, within the past couple of weeks on Twitter and I was reminded of it as I was looking at other, uh, apps that are you know available and I'm going to butcher the name here. It's probably called Torella, T-E-R-R-E-L-L-A. We'll have the, the link in the show notes. It's a, it's a game. But it's kind of interesting because I think it's it's not, you know, the El Cheapo, man, this is like a really dumb Farmville kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually pretty slick, pretty well designed uh, in the way that it, it onboards you and, and teaches you how to use the game. And it's touch first, and it's the sort of thing that wouldn't work nearly as well um, if you were using an Xbox controller. It would control very similarly, but it wouldn't have that, that tactile feel. So... The short of, of how it works is uh, it, you're in space and there's this goal that you're trying to get to and you are uh, like a meteor or a rock or planet or a comet of some sort. And there are these uh, colored objects littered throughout the path that you're trying to go through and the, obje- the colored objects will either repel or attract your sphere depending on what color you make it. So you, you start out with oh, two really? simple colors, you know, you know, make this thing attract as I'm coming through this side and then make it repel to shoot it off on the other side. So it's a it's a physics gravity well based game, but it's actually really done really well. And I, 
I highly recommend that. So can you change your color as you're on your trip, or you have to pick? You you have to change your color, right? So you're given like at least four colors as far as I've gone in the game, and and each pair of colors is the opposite, right? So if it's, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but if it's red and green, where if it's a green object you're passing by, if you're green, you repel. But if you're Mm -hmm. red going by the green object, it attracts towards it. In color theory, the the red and green are are opposite, whereas you know green and yellow would be. Or they're close together, so they're complementary. Oh, oh, quite right. Like on the color wheel, right? Yeah, so, like, so yeah. I think blue and orange are the next two colors that I remember. And right. I think they're paired up as well. Right, right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I think blue and orange, yeah, they're opposite each other on the color wheel, so they, they would repel in theory. You know, they'd be repellent in theory. Uh, this, this is really cool. I'm trying it right now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Got really nice animations. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to add? Uh, uh, I don't. I guess I'm one of the two-thirds of the people who haven't downloaded an app this week. <laughs> well, I downloaded an app, and we were going we to talk about it briefly. And uh, and, and basically, it's uh, and I just found that it's been updated today, and I haven't had a chance to update it, but it's Swing Copters. Mm. Um, and what, what I found interesting about it was uh, we talked about it last week, and we were sort of predicting it's, it's uh, where it's going to go. We're going to talk about it in, probably in a couple of weeks in, in more detail, but... Um, I found it interesting that the, the app did come out, and, and it is very difficult to play, in my opinion. Um, but I think that, Jaime, you said that you just got an update, like, today? That, that yeah. Uh, they did have an update today. Ye- within the last day. Um, and it's interesting here. So there are two things in the release notes. One, yeah. tuning, tuning gameplay. <laughs> two, right. fixed bug display ads. The tuning gameplay part is kind of interesting, because if you fire up the, uh, the app, it's still brutal. I mean, there, there's still issues with the control scheme. Yeah. But instead of dying in the first half a second right. <laughs> and, not, and not understanding exactly how the game works, at least now you're given, um, I'm on an iPhone 5 here, uh, maybe a screen and a half's worth of time to sort of get accustomed to things. But I thought it was funny that people were posting online that they got one point and, and they, their life was completed, you know? you know. You know, I felt like mine was. It took me 20 minutes to get to that level. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I got to one point, too, but I was hoping... Yes. It, I was, what? You didn't get... You haven't you got to pass one point there yet, Aaron? No, no. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm looking at it now. I can't. Well, well, I've got the old version. You can try that one, too, see how frustrating it was. I was trying it last night. It was... Well, what's interesting about it, obviously, is is that much to our chagrin, collectively, um, Apple has featured it on the App Store, and it is getting the benefit of of being front and center when you when you fire up the other App Store. And um, you're mocking me, sir. I'm not mocking you at all. I'm actually I'm actually encouraging people to go back and listen to episode three to see what I'm talking about because that was quite good. You know, as an aside, speaking yeah. of the other App Store, yeah. So uh, there was an article on TechCrunch. About clones of Flappy Bird, right, right, uh, or the, the sequel, uh, Swing Copters, clones of it being removed from Google Play and right. from the iOS App Store. Well, I had heard that when Flappy Birds first came out that they were they were threatening to do that, or they were doing that. Uh, they, they stopped new submissions from coming in that it had the word Flappy in the title right. and were obvious clones. But I think the ones that were already there stayed there for the. Well, it's part. like it's like the Eddie Murphy movie where he runs for for senator using a similar name. Of the guy who just passed away and, and gets, and I think he's trying to win votes by association, right? So right. But it, but it does say something about the the other app store concept mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that, you know, this is a really um, popular app developer, very right. uh, highly prominent. Right. And I kind of doubt that if one of us was to have an app that had thousands of clones coming out at once, I don't think we'd be getting quite the same help right. from Apple. And, and it's an interesting point that you, you say that because uh, I have an app called Device Tracker that 
that I put out years and years ago, and, it, and it's basically just for IT people to keep track of their equipment. Therefore, it's called device tracker, right? It was out there for about a year, and then after a while, people started coming out with device tracker for iPhone or device tracker for iPad or, or variations of that name um, that did slightly different things. And, and you know, there were, there were some ramifications to that, but, but it seems to be a popular trend in, in um, app naming and keywording is to try and, you know, win, win over uh, users by coming up with a similar name, like, like Flappy as an example. I'm glad Apple took that away, but perhaps they didn't take it away quickly enough. But because there are tons of Flappy Bird clones still on the App Store, and you were just saying with the hyperlapse thing, right? So yeah, well, I don't know which one was first. I I just see that there's a couple of well, as and Aaron said, it's a te- it's a technology, not necessarily a brand or a, or a, right. Unless, unless Oprah wants to, you know, copyright it or something. Right. <laughs> Certainly in the case of Flappy Birds, there were a lot of people using the name just to right. get but, but at the same time, there's there's only so many names, and there's a lot of apps out there. So That's true. So there is uh, guaranteed to be some overlap. I think my advice for app developers is that unless you're, you know, really trying to make it hard to Google search for your app's name or you're a big behemoth like a Facebook, don't use common names like Paper. <laughs> Right, right. I'll talk to people about paper and they have no clue what a, which app or which company. One of the choices I had was to write a, an app similar to paper. And then I thought that they were talking about the original paper one from the 53 studios or the drawing one. Yeah. The and, but, one. but then it turns out yeah, that yeah, I found yeah. out that um, Facebook has a paper app, right? Yes. Right. Yes. And there was a prior usage of the word paper right. in the app store uh, right. prior to 53. I think it was a company name or something. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, folks. So once again, uh, Aaron, where can people find you on the interwebs? The interwebs, Aaron.Vay.ca, V-E-G-H. That's where I blog or on Twitter at Aaron Vay or on my weekly magazine, BigFruitMag.net. And Jaime, where people can people find you? DevWithAhair.com. Uh, also on Twitter at DevWithAhair. I'm still gonna still gonna hold out hope here as I laugh. Uh, I'm also an app.net at Dev with a Hair. Yeah, it was funny that at the conference, some presenters actually made the point of saying they're not on app.net. <laughs> yeah. I did see one. I'd have to look through the slide. There was one who did have it on the slide, though. So yeah, that's there's, what I mean. like, no, there's no. still some stalwarts. Um, oh, really? People they're, flying they're, the flag, I think. Holding, it on, holding on to it. Mark, and where can people find you? I'm at www.smapsoft.com. That's one M, two P's. And uh, Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, my name is Tim Mitra, and I'm regularly from Toronto, Ontario, but we're, we're recording live at 360i Dev in Denver, Colorado. And um, I am T I M M I T R A, or Tim Mitra on Twitter, and I host the blog www.it-guy.com, itguy.com. And that's where you'll find this podcast, unless you found it on iTunes, in which case, rock on! And please rate us and please, you know, uh, yeah, give us some reviews and some ratings. It really helps. And that goes for people rating our apps, too. Okay, thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.